Okay, everybody, uh, we're, we're going to uh, get underway here. Before we uh, start, uh, part, of, part of the dynamic of what used to be midweek in the city and now Thursday in the city is uh, a Q&A after the uh, interview or panel discussion uh, takes place. And so um, I, I, can you put that slide up there? Um, okay, there is a... Uh, if you have a, a smartphone, uh, go to Slido.com. I don't know why. That's kind of, um, I think that's the logo of Slido.com. It, there's no dot in the middle of the word. It's Slido, S-L-I-D-O, dot com. Um, Slido.com. What? You've got to be kidding me. Okay, all right. Uh, we, it wasn't this way in rehearsal, folks. It wasn't. Um, okay, then do that, sli.do, whatever, I don't know. Um, anyway, it's slido.com, dang it. Okay, uh, and now um, <clears throat> it's, uh, if you'll type in the uh, code THINK, T-H-I-N-C, It'll take you to tonight's presentation, uh, or at least uh, a place where you can ask questions. You can type those questions in, and they will come to me just magically. Uh, and so, um, and that, that's mostly how we're going to do questions. I say mostly if you don't uh, have your phone with you or uh, you just can't make it work for some reason, then uh, don't worry about it. We'll, uh, we'll do that. But... Anyway, that's uh, slido.com, and that's the way we'll um, do questions here. And so let's, uh, let's meet our panelists now. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> tonight we have with us Julio Guarneri, and uh, Julio was born in Mexico City. Um, he grew up in Monterrey. He holds degrees from Texas A&I, Southwestern Seminary, and a PhD from Dallas Baptist University. He served in multiple church staff positions in Texas for 32 years. Since 2010, he's been the lead pastor at Calvary Baptist Church down in the valley in McAllen, uh, a multi-ethnic congregation uh, down there. And, uh, and then uh, John Garland uh, pastored Iglesia Menonita Buenas Nuevas. That's a, that's a, I've practiced that today. Um, on the border for 10 years, uh, while also serving in public middle schools, and currently he's the pastor of San Antonio Mennonite Church and part of the leadership of the Interfaith Welcome Coalition, a group devoted to responding to the great vulnerability of refugees moving through our city from Central America. And both the church and his home have served as a shelter for the last five years. So would you welcome our panelists here tonight? Um, Uh, this is this is um, a very um, sometimes polarizing, often polarizing issue, uh, and there's much to talk about. But let's uh, first of all, uh, Julio, um, would you talk about the experiences of the families in your congregation with the issue of immigration? You're you're down in the valley, so talk a little bit about that. Sure, the, uh, for us. The experiences of the families are, are very
varied because our congregation is pretty diverse. We have uh, a congregation that's about uh, 51% Anglo, and uh, we have uh, winter Texans that come from the Midwest, and we have uh, about 49% Hispanics, and we have some Asians, some African Americans in our congregation, and so, um, and we have first-generation immigrants. We have a Spanish service, and uh, and so in our congregation, we have folks who are border patrol agents, who are uh, federal agents uh, with eyes, and and all. We also have immigrants who uh, who are here uh, and are undocumented. We have dreamers. We have students who are going to UTRGV getting a degree and, uh, and are hoping that somehow they can get a path to citizenship. Uh, and we have folks who serve at the Respite Center for uh, Sacred Heart Catholic Charter, Catholic Charities uh, down there. And, and so the, the experiences of folks in the valley are, are in our church are, are varied. We have one of our deacons who leads uh, a ministry uh, that, that collaborates and, and partners uh, with several Baptist entities in the valley to take care of unaccompanied minors. And, you know, there's, there's an arrangement with the federal government. So uh, the experiences are varied um, from firsthand contact to, uh, <laughs> you, you know, profession and so right. forth. Yeah. So the, the conversations in Sunday school are... Uh, off the charts. No, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's, uh, it, it just seems like you would see maybe the news, you would see protests, you know, keep immigrants out, and you go, hey, there's some people from my church, and you would, you know, see other people saying, let the immigrants in, and you go, hey, there's some people from my church in there. So, I mean, it's, that's, that's uh, really an amazing kind of mix of uh, varied it, uh, perspectives, I guess. Yeah, it, it really is, and I mean, and, and you joke about it, but you know, depending on which Sunday school class you might step into, uh, the <laughs> right. conversation may be very different uh, mm -hmm. because we, you know, we'll have, because of our, sort of the way the demographics work in sure. terms of the, the different worship services and Sunday school classes that we have different times. And so you might walk into a, a, one of the classes and feel like you're in one of those talk shows, radio talk shows right, right. Uh, that are far on the right. And then, uh, you know, you go maybe a little later and <laughs> and, and and you have someone say, "Pray for me, because tomorrow I have to go to court because yeah. I was detained." Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's the same church, but you know different experiences. We, one of the, one of the examples I think I shared with you um, uh, because when national media was down there a couple of years ago with the influx of uh, uh, Central American right. immigrants, we were doing we had a a laundry unit, a mobile unit on our on our campus. And we were washing the laundry for the Catholic Charities yeah. Respite Center. And, um, and we had some of the wives of the Border Patrol agents washing and folding the clothes. Wow. And, uh, and, and when the news media came and, and, uh, and, and were interviewing us, you said, you mean to tell us that you have Border Patrol agents and some immigrants, maybe undocumented immigrants, in the same worship service? And we said, yes. We pass around the same communion plate to everybody. See, and that that you that picture right there is at least it, we should pause and say, what's what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What is the meaning of this? If you share the same communion plate, this is fascinating, John. Uh, you know, we we've talked 
you know, mentioned the media here a little bit. Now, you, in an earlier conversation, said that the media portrayals can lead to somewhat of a skewed understanding of this entire issue. Would you talk a little bit more about that, about the narrative that we see and then the narrative that actually takes place on the ground? That was my effort to, um, to give a bombshell. The media is biased. <laughs> um, I think any, any, any um, perspective that you're looking at this, oftentimes the media is, is trying to tell a, a, a story in a certain amount of words mm -hmm. and get to the point. And so if you're approaching it from one direction, you need to tell your direction's story. And if you're approaching it from another direction, you need to tell that story as well sure. to, to the editors. And so it's, it's very easy to, to get this skewed, especially if you don't have a relationship with the folks um, who are involved longer than, say, a fi five minute um, uh, interview or a 15 second uh, soundbite. Um, our yeah, church yeah, is just yeah. down the street uh, here, just down the street from St. Mary's. Um, and the Mennonites, are, we're Anabaptist, so um, we're very similar to Baptist, um, is the, same, the, same, the same roots. Um, but we use our church as a shelter uh, for primarily Central American refugees who are moving through our city and are stranded. And the vast majority of them are stranded three blocks from here um, at the bus station. Now, when, now when you say stranded, what are you talking about with these folks? What, what, are, they, what are they doing? So, so there, there's, there's a lot of different types of refugees and immigrants in San Antonio. There are the refugees who are coming over the ocean through a government program. There are refugees from Mexico who are coming across. And then there are refugees from Central America who are fleeing horrendous violence in Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador. The vast majority right now are coming from Honduras. Um, and Honduras is the most dangerous place for women in the world uh, right now. It's right next to Afghanistan. They, tra they trade places. See, we don't, um, we don't often hear that. Yeah. We don't often well, hear that. And so they are leaving, um, they're leaving with very little notice, you, with all their belongings. It costs about $8,000 to get from Honduras to the U.S. border. And it takes, about, um, it takes about a month or a month and a half. And during that time, they are subjected to um, all sorts of uh, violence mm. and uh, targeting by the folks in Mexico, the cartels in Mexico, because they're holding all of their wealth on their person. And also, they, are, um, they have connections in the United States or back in Honduras that can be extorted. Um, and then when they get to the border, um, if they have any resources left, they will wait uh, to cross at one of the bridges. Um, or if they have nothing left, they'll cross the river and, and hail down the, the border patrol and say, we need to, we, we're, we're here to seek asylum. Um, if you cross at the bridge or if you cross at the river, you generally end up at the same place. It's a processing center. Um, there's a couple in McAllen, there's some in Laredo, there's some in Eagle Pass. They're very, very cold. Um, some of them will spend a night or two, and I've met a, some families have been there for six nights. Uh, and then they'll either go to a detention center or they're dropped off at the bus station, um, either in Laredo or, or here, um, or they're bussed uh, by uh, the prison buses, the detention buses here to San Antonio. Um, so we're, we're responding to those folks who are showing up here, downtown San Antonio, um, after this month-long, sometimes more, um, journey of great 
sacrifice uh, and also great trauma. I, I want to ask a little bit more about uh, the the caravan that we heard so much about in just a second. But did you have something? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, echo, you know, in the situation in McAllen, specifically with the Central American uh, ref refugees, so those that are seeking re refugee status, is after they get processed, they get dropped at the bus station uh, so that they'll go to a town uh, where they may have a relative to wait a court hearing that will determine whether they qualify to be ref and sometimes it's a couple hours wait for the bus. Sometimes it's a day or two. And these folks don't speak any English. No. Some of them don't even speak Spanish. Some of them are <laughs> wow. from indigenous yeah. people groups. Yeah, okay, indigenous uh, peoples. And, yeah. and, so, um, and so it's during that period of time that we have an opportunity to, to minister to them, to encourage them. To, you know, McAllen, uh, our mayor and, and several of the leaders in McAllen want to be known as a welcoming city. Mm. Uh, and so we, we try to minister at that point. We, they don't stay in McAllen. Uh, you know, those, those, we see hundreds and hundreds of people come through every day, but they end up in other places. But they're headed on to San Antonio and then all points around the U.S., right, uh, wherever they may uh, and, have and family. You were asking about what, why, why our media portrayals oh, are, yeah, are yeah. wrong. And, yes. and so if, you are, if you're watching this, um, you know, uh, media from let's say, more progressive or leftist sides. They're going to say, all of these people are wonderful people who are here and they're just going to make our communities better. The reality is, though, they have been deeply traumatized um, and they have, they have lost everything. They've sacrificed everything. Um, they are dealing with the trauma, trauma B, horrible experiences to their body and to their spirits and their mind. Trauma A, long-term uh, neglect. Um, and then uh, they are dealing with shame. Um, they are dealing with the loss of their families and their culture. Um, and they are dealing with the, sort of this recurring sense of detachment. Um, they've left people behind. There's people staying in our house two nights ago who found out that their, her child had been horrifically murdered. And so, th th so we have to recognize this is a population that is horrifically traumatized. If you look at the media from, say, the more the right or conservative, they're saying all these people are coming to change us or they're coming to rob from us or they're coming to change whatever, whatever. And the reality is of the people that we've met, 80%, 85% of them are evangelical Christians. And see, that was a, a – you talked about bombshell earlier. Yeah. I, I had no idea when we were talking the other day until you – you said that. It was the first time I'd ever heard that. A, a couple of nights ago, I was at the bus station because we, I get the late night calls from the, from the Greyhound staff if there's families that are stranded like after 9 o'clock. And I was there, um, there was a few nights ago, and there was a little boy who was very, very sick uh, because he'd been in the detention center and so cold and, and communicable diseases, et cetera, et cetera. And he had a very, very high temperature. Because they keep it, it's, it's very frigid in that in that detention center. And also, right? he's just yeah. very little, and has been, okay. he's, been sure. he's been a grown-up Exposure jail. and so yeah. forth, yeah. yeah. And, and um, I, they, they didn't want to leave. They were going to catch a bus that was leaving at 1 a.m. But the little boy is just burning up. Um, and so I, we have our little toolbox of various things, and in that is, you know, blankets and a little teddy bear and, and some child-safe fe uh, fever reducer. And I gave the kid fever reducer, and then I said, can I, can I pray for your child? And um, laying hands on the kids, laying hands on the, on the mother, 
and we're praying. And you know, when you pray with evangelicals from Central America, um, she's responding in this prayer, and we're praying together. And then I hear around me, there's whispers all around me. And, and the whispers are getting louder and louder and louder. And I'm opening my eyes at the end of this prayer, and all, the whole crowd of people have gathered around, and they're extending their hands over. And we have this little worship service asking God for healing mm. in this bus station. And we talk about, like, this like sense of communion yeah. uh, and pleading to God. Um, and I'm showing up as a little, you know, pastorcito here, I'm like with my little bag of like, let me give help. And, and it's the whole community that, that is um, uh, crying out to God together. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that is, um, that's an important calling to us as the church here in San Antonio to recognize that these are our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ who are sacrificing everything in love um, for their families. And we have an opportunity to bless them. Uh, we have an opportunity to witness their their pilgrimage um, and their love. Now, um, let's let's talk about uh, some of the things that you you mentioned, um, such as this uh, family who experienced this horrible loss of this child m- murdered. You said, okay, well that is um, as a result of violence going on in Honduras. Okay, Um, I I want to talk about this because this is part of uh, any conversation, but what is the role of U.S. foreign policy in these nations? Uh, I mean, that's not a very pleasant thing to talk about, and, um, and, and there are many, many factors as to why a nation ends up like it does. But what is, talk about that factor a little bit. You can talk to economists and you can talk to politicians and you can talk to historians about the role of our, uh, I think, in the 80s and even before then, and then currently what we're doing or what we're not doing um, in terms of um, uh, supporting certain regimes and, and, right. um, and, but I think it's really important for us Christians to talk about what is the church doing uh, in, in response to this horrific trauma on the church, uh, on, on believers. Um, uh, and, and I think that we can talk about economic development, or we can listen to folks talking about economic development. Um, we can yeah. talk about... Um, um, you know, policies that undercut the cartels and that sort of thing. And then the church needs to be speaking with just as, as clear a voice about healing, about trauma healing. And I see Christianity as a trauma healing religion. That is what we do. That is what we read. That is what we practice. We break bread and we say, here's a broken body and here is poured out blood and we are going to take this, and it will bind us together as one. Okay, now, see, this is, um, in, like our conversation the other day, uh, there are people who say, well, we've got to go, we've got to go do public policy uh, advocacy in Austin, or we've got to go to D.C. and do, you know, uh, speak out against, you know, this or that uh, policy. Um, but y- you are not 
you're not there. That's not, you're, you're not marching on Austin or D.C., John. You know people who are, but you're, you have said, um, and like you're saying now, this, this is marching and doing public or doing advocacy, you know, in front of the church and having the church rise up to this triage body that you say that it is. Is that a fair statement? I mean, it, you, you, you don't eschew, you don't reject the need for, uh, you know, policies changing, but you say there's a greater need. Is that, is that a fair statement? A greater need for I, I the church to rise up? The church is first called to healing, and a lot of that healing is needed on the margins. Um, Paul was writing from prison uh, often, and he's writing about uh, his experiences of trauma, writing to churches that are traumatized and broken. Um, the, first, the first gospel was written from a very, very dark, um, uh, suffering This is place. lost and, often in translation, isn't it? I mean, it, it, is, it was great trauma. I mean, persecution is trauma. Yeah. So. And, and I think that what we are seeing coming through Central America is a church um, that, is, that is traumatized, that is broken. And we have these scriptures. Uh, we have these narratives. We have these prayers in the Psalms. And what we do is, at our church is we talk a lot about trauma-informed Christianity, using, using the Psalms in healing prayer. Um, and uh, we, we talk about the, uh, the practices of, of discipleship uh, that, will, that will guide someone from a place of dark trauma into felt safety, into communion and discipleship with God. Yeah, and I absolutely... Uh resonate with that role of the church in a, in a, in a healing uh, role. I, you know, I also think that it's important when the church is involved in sharing the gospel mm-hmm. uh, internationally that we do a disservice when we preach a gospel that supposedly only cares about the spiritual aspect of a person. Uh, and when we, because the gospel is holistic, that's right. And so, you know, yeah. Jesus says he was, he was anointed to bring good news to the poor and, and to uh, bring freedom to the captive. And, and so when we invest, uh, and I know we feel good often when we do short-term trips to other places and, and, and we share a message and we get people to raise their hand and then we come back and report. And, and a lot of times that's great because some of these people, that's the way maybe they met Christ, but, but we haven't given them the whole gospel. We haven't, we haven't taught them how, how Jesus loves them and how he wants to bring shalom into their community mm-hmm. and how they can be agents of, of shalom in, in, that, in that environment. So I think that the church also needs to learn that role. But and, isn't it true, Julio, that the church often speaks, we often divide things up into something other than a holistic... Absolutely, yeah. We, we speak politically sometimes only. Exactly. And we speak from where we've yeah, we, parked we, we our take, politics. We take our political uh, assumptions. It, it, and, right. Uh, and and, and uh, we assume that everyone should think yes. the same way. Because yes. often we, we don't know how to make a difference between our political stance and the gospel. Okay, this is a, this is a great deficit in, in us then. If we do, 
that's an interesting turn of phrase. We don't know, how did you say that? We don't know how to yeah, how tell to make, the difference. Right, exactly. Tell the difference between a political stance and the gospel. Right. That's, that is haunting. A lot really. of missionaries I talk to are often struggling with this. Are we bringing Christendom mm. or are we yeah. bringing the kingdom of God? Yeah, mm-hmm. there's and, a difference. And, and I think that that is always an important thing to, um, uh, to, to consider, especially with these questions about what about our, our foreign policy? Is that a Christendom question? Yeah. Right, or is that a, right. are we asking a kingdom of God question? Let, if I could just give a specific example, because this can kind of be nebulous and, you know, what in the world? This seems, this seems um, just sort of idealistic. Um, how do you bring the kingdom of God into the heart of a traumatized teenager um, who is, you know, sees no hope? Like, how do you, how do you preach good news? I, there, was a, there was a mama who stayed with us, um, she missed her bus. She missed her bus intentionally, we found out two days later, because her daughter had been taken from her in the detention center down on the border, and she didn't know where she was, and she didn't know how to find her. Um, so we were, were finally able to track her down after five days, uh, tracked her down in the little computer system. We found the detention center where her, her teenage daughter was, was um, and we were able to, after four more days, take her down to visit her daughter in the detention center. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you are, a, you are a mother who's lost your child. Um, she had lost other children, but now this, this child had been taken from her. And the whole way down, like, we're singing cantos. Like, we are singing our worship songs, and she makes me put the salmos, the psalms, on the repeat uh, in, the, uh, on, in the car, and she is just trembling you know, weeping, uh, it, like just the only thing that's keeping her together is, is these, is the, are these prayers. And we get to the detention center, and we have to, of course, go through the metal detectors, and we have to wait, and we have to wait, and we have to wait. And the, the little girl comes through into the visitation room, and we're on the one side of, the, of that mirror that we can see through, but she can't see. And you can see this little girl, and she comes and sits at the table, and the mother is just shaking, and she grabs my hand, and they open the door, and immediately she stops. She walks in. Her daughter just collapses on the table uh, and then and falls over, and she goes and picks her up, and her daughter's saying, Mommy, Mommy, you didn't leave me. Mommy, Mommy, it's been a week since she's seen her mother. She's like, you, you didn't forget me. And this is, this is where, where, where we do kingdom of God stuff. Her mother, who is broke, she has nothing in her. Like, she is just broken. And she had been praying, like, God, give me the words. Give me the strength. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like seeds. Right? The kingdom of God is like sowing seeds. Or the kingdom of God is like a little seed. You don't understand how it works, but it sprouts. Or the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed. And then he's like, and he tells the disciples, the kingdom of God, the, the seeds are logos. And so I watched this mama just rename her daughter. She's like, Mama, Mama, you, did, you didn't forget me. You didn't forget me. And, and the mother says, my, my daughter, you are my world. I will never forget you. And, and the little girl's saying, Mama, Mama, it is so scary here. It's so scary here. And, and, and the, mama says, the mama says, you remember that time that, that man was attacking me? And you rose up, girl. You rose up like a lion. And you were screaming at him, and you, my child, are a lion. And then she says, she says, um, she says, Mama, 
I'm, I'm working. They pay me a dollar a day, but I'm washing the dishes uh, in the mess. And she takes her hands, and she's like, my daughter, you never had a childhood, but you are God's child. I'm like, over here, I'm like trying to keep it together in the prison. I'm like watching this woman preach gospel to her daughter. And she's like, she's like, you are God's child, and Jesus will never, ever, ever forsake you. And then she made her daughter repeat that. And like tears are just like falling down this little girl's face. And that's what I mean by kingdom of God stuff, where we, we, begin, we begin with folks who are traumatized by, by saying, let me share God's true name for you. And that's where we begin. And then from there, and the, you know, this is Jesus. Jesus does all this renaming stuff in the Gospels. He, all, he does all this like, I see you. Um, I see you, woman, who has bled for 12 years. Um, I see you, short guy up in the tree. I see you, tax collector, that everybody hates. Um, I see you, leper. Um, and then he does this, this renaming work. That's, that's the beginning of our, of our work. Um, but kingdom of God, I think it always comes back, are we asking a kingdom of God question? Because the, the Christendom questions are loud. The politics questions are very loud and distracting. Um, is, is it, uh, go, go ahead. And I would just say, I, I think that that's the most important role uh, hmm. that the church has. But, but I would add to, to the, that it's a, it's a complex issue. It's a multifaceted issue. Mm -hmm. So there is room for advocacy, for policy change. There is room for NGOs uh, to, yes. to make a difference. And uh, not everyone's called to do the same thing. I mean, the church has a central role, and it cannot relegate it. It cannot neglect it. It, it must be at the forefront. But we need a multifaceted approach. We, and and ha we... Do we say uh, to our churches uh, and together with our churches, do we say together we must uh, figure out how we can um, how we can preach wherever we go? I mean, is this I mean this mother was preaching to her child. She was facilitated by your church that was also preaching into her life. Uh, the NGOs that you mentioned, do we, do we preach through those, so to speak? Uh, I mean, how, how do, what's the connection there? How does the church begin then to take it, to, to affect change on a larger scale? Do we do this one person at a time? How do we do this, you know, if we're, if we're, ad, if we're um, you know, some people say, well, elect the right people, you know. Uh, how does this happen, though? How do we take this gospel and let it grow and flavor the kind of world we live in? And, and really, I, I, I'm asking because uh, it, it seems like so many of our efforts begin to take on this mechanical, you know, we, we need to unite behind this one candidate, you know, and that falls flat often to affect real change. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's a cop-out. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we have a responsibility to participate in the in the process of voting and all that, but, right. but that's not what's going to bring about the answer. So we we do live out the gospel uh, and touching the lives of individuals, yeah. but also looking at communities. I mean, you know, the the Bible 
uh, does look at the, Jesus does look at the individual and notices the individual, but but what what really happens is you get a people of God, you get a community, you mm. get oikos, you get extended families yeah, yeah. Uh, that begin to effect change and transformation in the community. So so it's both and. It's not okay. either or. And what we need is creation. We need the creation of healing. We need the creation of these communities. And when God creates, and that's where we need the creation to come from. It needs to come from, from God. And when God creates, at least in, I like the first chapter of, of John, where you have this mysterious word of God. Um, but then when that word becomes flesh, it comes in truth and it comes in grace. And that's what the church, if we are, if we are the incarnation of, of, of Christ, if we're the body of Christ in this world, then we need to be focusing on truth and grace. So we are telling true stories, and we are telling, giving people good names, true names, competing with all the dark voices and lies. We are telling, speaking truth, and then giving grace, modeling good behavior, um, opening our homes um, and opening our hearts and, and, and opening our lives, but modeling good behavior, truth and grace. And I think I, the, with the political thing, I, 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 my, I'm not a good politician, but I, as I understand, our nation was kind of founded on first the principle of who people are. There's like these inalienable rights or this, this we hold these truths to be self-evident, et cetera, et cetera. And I think um, if we do anything as a church, we have to be focusing on who people are. And that's what we're always talking about. Then, then help me understand this. Do we, have, do we have unworkable laws or do we have good laws that are not enforced well? I mean, some people would come back at this and say, well, you know, what about the, what about the laws? What do, we do, what do we do with laws? I mean, at some point, that conversation has to happen. And I think that conversation has happened for now for 2,000 years. Okay. Uh, when, when Paul is like saying, you, I mean, these are the laws of the land. And Christianity, in all of our scriptures, Christianity was very much a marginal movement. Very much so. And, um, and that's where it did its most transformative work. Yeah. And in and, 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 and Romans 13, it says, you, we, this, we, we are living a law of land. Right. And then in the middle of that chapter, and the, the law... The law is love. Yeah. Love your neighbor um, as yourself. And, 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 and I think that that's, that's kind of what is always going to, always drives the Christian. That was what drives the disciples. If we're going to confront darkness, if we're going to walk with Jesus into Jerusalem, we're always doing that, um, following up this calling, this law, but following behind um, Jesus doing this yeah. ahead of us in, in love. Jesus yeah. himself, you know, he, he, he approaching the Pharisees, he calls them hypocrites because they would tithe their spices. They would give a 10% of their yep. spices. And yep. he says, you, you, you tithe even the smallest part of what you have in your pantry. He goes, but you've forsaken love and mercy and justice. He says, you, you should have, without neglecting the former, yeah. you know, uh, you, you should focus on so. So love and mercy always uh, is what should drive. So the laws are important. They, they, they need to be there, but they, they don't supersede love and mercy. And, and so, so to answer your question, your earlier question, I, I think that we, we need better laws, hmm. 
uh, I, I think that that address the real issues, and, and we you know we have a problem, uh, we have a broken system, uh, and we say one thing, we practice another. Mm -hmm. It's it's the hypocrisy that uh, doesn't want the immigrant uh, here, but the people that clean your house and mow your yard That's are immigrants, very true. and yeah. and that kind of a thing that says, well, you know, somehow. This is not making sense. Yes. We're speaking out of both sides of our mouth. So we need to, we need better laws. Uh, that doesn't mean we ignore the ones that exist, but that means that, that we need to work for laws that reflect our values, which go back to people, go back to, you know, if, if we are so passionate about the sanctity of human life, if we think that the reason that we should advocate for babies in the womb is because they're vulnerable, then the same principle goes for for every human being. Yes. Because every human being is made in the image of God. That's right. And every vulnerable human being needs the protection from people that care mm. for the baby in the womb and for the child at the border. Mm. Mm. That's right. Um, a a um, a position that we hear today often is that immigrants are threats to our way of life. And, and often we will say illegal, you know, undocumented immigrants and so forth are threats. What are we really saying there? What are we saying when we say that? Or do we, are, we, are we just parroting something that we've heard or is there a real sort of a, an, a fear there? What's going on? Well, I guess I would begin by saying that the problem with, with a general statement like that is the problem with any stereotype of general statement. I, I got an that, email today, by the way, that, that said that very thing. Sure. And, and so are there bad people that come across the border? Yes, there are. Are there, are there criminals that, that are trying to get into our country and trafficking drugs and trafficking uh, sex traffickers? Of course there are. Uh, but you can't make a blanket statement that every immigrant uh, threatens our way of life. I, I think that there is um, uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of you know parroting uh, yeah. of of what we hear. And so, uh, just like in any other situation, you have you have good people and you have bad people. Uh, and at the end of the day, you have to make individual decisions uh, in in a case by case basis. Um, but, but, but I think in terms generally of, of the way of life, I mean, most of the people that, that are coming over undocumented are people that just want to get a job so they can eat and are helping to sustain economies. There's one of the things that, that I hear often is, you know, these people come over here and they don't pay taxes. Mm -hmm. I had to pay taxes. They, yeah. they, you know, but they do pay taxes. In fact, some of them never get an income tax check return because there, there are taxes being deducted from their checks that they're never seen. Yeah. Wherever they pay rent, property taxes are being paid from there. Mm. So, so uh, that, that's, a, that, that's not always a true thing, that, that they don't pay taxes. Talking point. So, The, the, the question about whether or not uh, these folks are going to change our lives or ruin our lives, I think the Christian is always responding to that with, that's exactly what Jesus wants. Mm. Um, Jesus asked really, really difficult things of the disciples. 
um, and said, this is going to change everything. Um, I can say just specifically about this refugee population in central, uh, in, in central San Antonio, it's completely changed my life, um, and it's completely changed my, my family's life. Yeah. So if, if the answer to that question is then yes. But I would say first, <laughs> Jesus changed my life. Jesus says, I want to use you. Uh, I, wa- I, want you to, I want you to walk with me. Um, um, and, and I think that that, that then, is, the, that then is, our, is our Christian calling is to say, which life are you talking about uh, that you're worried about? Um, is, it your, is it your life of wealth? Are you the fellow that's running up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, Jesus, I've, I've done everything. I've done all the Ten Commandments. I've followed all these things. What do I need to do to get eternal life? Um, and Jesus says, well, I want you to give all that up. Um, all that you have and come, come with me. And I think that that's, that's then is our question. Um, in resp- anytime we feel a threat like that, we just take it back to Jesus and say, well, what, what is it, what is it, Jesus, that you wanted to, how do you want to answer this um, question? What is the, uh, what is the, what is the future, the preferred future look like? What's the, uh, what would a better future look like with the church um, when it comes to this issue? I mean, is it, um, continued, you know, border patrol agents working with families that uh, have relatives who are, you know, awaiting asylum. I mean, that's, that seems like a, a start there. What would a better future look like, Julio? Uh, well, I think it would include every, every person in the church learning what it means to welcome the stranger. Because, you know, when you welcome you, you welcome Jesus, hmm. the least of these. Um, I think it includes uh, even, you know, one of the things about Border Patrol agents, and, and, they've, and there's been a lot of, um, a lot of them are, are beat up by the media. Uh, and, and some of them are, are, are followers of Christ. They're doing their job. Uh, and they're being compassionate in the way that they do their job. Because I, I think you can do your job without being mean and racist and and treating people like animals and so i think we need followers of jesus to be border patrol agents who will see uh in each uh immigrant the image of god and Mm. treat them with dignity even as uh, even as they're trying to enforce the laws uh i I think that's certainly a a beginning I i think that uh there needs to be the church needs to uh help to change this mentality of isolationism, that 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 we are somehow above others, and that yes. we're not connected to the rest of humanity and to our brothers and sisters in Christ anywhere in the world, there needs to be uh, order and there needs to be uh, fairness and all those things I think are important. But you know, it makes a great deal of difference in the way that you apply a law the way that you execute a law, when you, when you do it with dignity, uh, when, when you do it with compassion, mm. or when you do it with hate, um, I think one of the things that the church can help do is to undo this culture of fear. Um, you know, it, it, mm. th- there's this culture, we're afraid. What is that we're, we're afraid yes. of? Uh, and I think, uh, you know, just going back to the New Testament, 
the church in the first century had a lot of things to be afraid of. And yet the word, it's always a word of encouragement. Yeah. Uh, that, that we have a kingdom that is higher and bigger than any kingdom here on earth. And, and maybe talking more head on about fear. Uh, and, and that kind of ties in with what you said. Uh, uh, you know, well, yeah, they're going to change us. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's sort of taking that fear and turning it on its head and saying, well, yes, is that, is that what you're really fearing? Let's, let's, you know, really talk about that. And, and then we begin to dispel that fear. What would a better future look like? Jesus is always calling the church to heal. Um, and I think that the church has to get uh, uh, really kind of excavate down into our identity as a body that heals trauma. And recognizing that that trauma is coming to our front doors and that trauma is all around us. So it's not just the Central American who is traumatized by the, the, the war and the rape and the extortion and the loss of family, but it's also the Border Patrol agent it's also the police. Mm. It's also the, uh, the folks who are working in the prisons. Um, and then there's all this secondary trauma. And, and trauma is a trap. That's what it is. It, it, grabs, it grabs the heart. It grabs the body. It grabs the mind. And it traps the traumatized person so that they cannot, they cannot move past that experience. Yeah. So the woman, who, the woman who is raped, her rapist is still right there. Yeah. behind her or the soldier who's come home uh, from Afghanistan his his body is still in that yeah. burning humvee That's it's like right. trapped there and and living like like they're still there um and and the the church and Christ are offering the good news of freedom and liberty from that trap because what the trap does is it prevents you from loving well psychologists call it attachment disorder Trauma leads to attachment disorder. You can't love others. You can't love yourself. You can't love God. Um, we, we, call that, we call that sin, the inability to love rightly. And, and, and the, the good news is preaching liberation from yeah, that. Yeah. And we have all of these models in our scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, of, of also of, of this healing journey. Um, first, first, it begins with being safe being called beloved, being called forgiven, uh, being called mine from God. And then, and then we move into this correction of discipleship. And now, because you are mine, you're going to walk in this way. And then, and then, it, and then it, and it leads to this greater communion and being a part of the body. If you, if you, sit, down, if you sit down with some fancy psychologists and you map out what trauma therapy looks like, it looks just like what the church mm. does. Um, creating felt safety and then engaging that hurt, engaging that sin, engaging that darkness, and then coming back into the arms of God, and then engaging it further, and engaging it further, and then coming back into the arms of God. And we do this, we do this um, because we are called into, into the body. And I think that that is what the church is perpetually being called to do um, is to, the way, the way I always, I had, a, I had a bad, bad morning this morning. It was a difficult one. It was a hard one. You didn't say anything um, about that to I, me. I'm sorry, but I, this is what I do. This is what I do. Um, there, was, there was a great suffering 
in the room, and I needed to, I needed to put on my, my, my big boy pastor pants and go into the room. And it was terrifying because I was like, who am I uh, to do this? And what I always do in those situations is I always see Jesus walking up to the building, and all the crowd is making fun of him, saying, you don't need to be here. The girl's already dead. And Jesus turns around. He grabs the parents. He grabs Peter, James. My name's John. He grabs John. I hear him say that. He's like, you guys come with me. And on the other side of that door is complete powerlessness. It's death. A little 12-year-old girl is dead. Um, It's powerlessness. And Jesus goes in first. And I, and I envision that, and that's what I do every, I did that this morning. I just closed my eyes, and I watched Jesus yeah. walk through that door, and I walked in after him, and I listened to Jesus saying, Talitha Kum, little girl, get up. Mm. Little girl, get up. Um, and you listen to Jesus saying that, and I think that that's what we're called to do as a church. Listen to Jesus saying, Talitha Kum, and just talk along with him uh, as much as we can. Did that make the morning better? Uh, you did. I think it's the only way you can get into the, you can get in there, um, I think, because it's, ultimately, it's not about, thank you, it's not about us. It's about Jesus already in that room, right. touching that little girl's hand and lifting her Well, and, and y'all have both talked, and you come at this in different ways, but, but fear is the, is the big, um, is the big bogeyman here. I mean, uh, and, and we've, we are, whether it's the fear of the other, the fear of the immigrant, the fear of what will happen to us, um, the fear radiating off of the people who have been traumatized, and we, we kind of introject that sometimes. We take that fear in, and, and we don't want any part of, of that. But we're, we're better uh, than that. We're made better than that uh, by Jesus we, we've got to claim uh, that place with him. And I love the imagery of he's already going into the detention center ahead of us or into uh, whatever area of human suffering there is. Um, we, we have some time for questions here. Um, and uh, if, if you want to submit your questions, go ahead and do that uh, on that silly, uh, yeah, um, thing there. But um, I, I do want to, uh, since we don't have any questions coming in yet on this, are there any questions from the floor uh, that you would like? What? Are there? All right, all right. Hang on, not yet. Oh, I see him. All right. Okay. Um, Okay. Um, How can, thank you, y'all. Refresh. I'd learned something new tonight. I I never knew about that function. Um, Okay. Do you, (laughs) okay, hang on just a second here. Um, Do we work with churches in Mexico to help Mexican nationals know how to enter the USA legally? I don't know that um, 
that, that we necessarily work with churches in Mexico to help them know how to enter the USA legally. I think that we do work with churches in Mexico, by the way, to help minister to uh, the Central American uh, immigrants uh, because a lot of them do come across, but a lot of them are sitting across the border in Reynosa and Matamoros, and, okay. and the Mexican churches are are faced with giving them shelter and having to feed them sometimes with limited resources. So we do work with them. You know, the people that come across um, uh, undocumented, mm -hmm. it's not because they don't know how to come legally. It's because often that path is not available to them. Yeah, and, and I, I think we uh, we would be astounded, would we not? Uh, uh, the, the, there, there may already be a wall built, and it's, it's that. Sure, and, and, and when you talk about Mexican immigrants specifically, uh, in order for them to get a visa, they, they have to show uh, solvency, they have to show that they have property in Mexico, and, and a number of other, they have to show promise of a job, that yeah. there has to be a job in demand for them, uh, like a profession or for them. So, uh, they have to be land-owning people? Proper, I mean, property-owning people? Uh, uh -huh. Yeah, or, or they had to have the kind of money to be able to buy land and invest over here. Wow. So, so for, specifically for, for Mexican immigrants. Now, the, the Central American immigrants that are coming in, they are entering to a provision uh, that the United States has in place where they can ask for, uh, to be refugees, where they can ask uh, uh, for it. So they're not necessarily coming... They're not necessarily illegal uh, when they come and ask to be considered refugees. They're mm -hmm. running away like any other refugee would come. Uh, and, and so uh, most of those people, that is not available to them, or they would do it. Okay, okay. Uh, all right. Um, and we're, we're going to kind of roll through these because we've got, we do have so many questions here uh, that I was not aware of. Um, on an individual basis, what can we do to help the refugees passing through our city? send blankets, clothing, uh, meeting those coming in on buses, uh, providing sack lunches, what can we do? Uh, what can we do? We, we have this, uh, here in San Antonio, the Interfaith Welcome Coalition, um, and what, there's, there's, there's a number of different uh, avenues for joining in, but it's literally three blocks from here. This is called the Interfaith, the Interfaith Welcome, Welcome Coalition. Coalition. You can also reach out to me at the, at the Mennonite uh, Church. I'm the okay. only employee. I'm part-time. <laughs> I'm both a, I'm both a, I'm both the, yeah, I'm the executive pastor and the janitor. But, yeah. So I, I answer the email address sometimes. Um, <laughs> But, but so, so we, what we do is we do welcome at the bus station. We also build backpacks for folks. Yeah, last, good. last year we built 22,000 backpacks that were used uh, for families. And then we also do work, work at the airport, uh, helping refugees go through uh, security and figure out how to find their airplanes and figure out what to do when they get to Dallas. Um, and then we also, um, what, what our church primarily focuses is on a shelter. Uh, and we are currently starting a new shelter because um, we are working with a house with about five bedrooms uh, just down the street in, on St. Mary's. Um, but we, someone just gave us a building um, that is uh, down Presa Street 
um, that we're going to transform into a shelter that is doing faith-based trauma healing so that we can have a, sort of a dorm set up, but then also a little chapel and then also rooms to do uh, some of this work. So if you're interested in that, you can reach out to our church, the, the, the Mennonite Church, um, or the Interfaith Welcome Coalition, um, or if you're interested in getting involved in, um, in this sort of healing hospitality work, uh, we've just created this new uh, organization uh, called Semillas, Seeds, um, mm. uh, Seeds of Faith, Seeds of Hope, Seeds of Healing, um, that, that, you, that we'd lo- love to have more people involved. Can, can folks talk to you afterwards uh, yeah, absolutely. about this? Okay, mm-hmm. um, great. Okay, now, if um, I, I'm going to go through uh, three questions here in particular, uh, and one is, what is the distinction you are drawing between Christendom and the kingdom of God? I, I, missionaries have a better understanding of that, but, but Christendom generally is Christianity melded with power. Uh, so, so Christianity uh, uh, way up at the upper echelons of, of, of power where, where we, we associate society, dominant culture, with Christianity, it would it be and fair usually to, oh. has it usually has been understood as Western culture, Western Europe, yes, colonizing other places. In, and right, really, it's kind of a an imperialistic approach to extending the church. Okay, all right, great. As opposed to, or juxtaposed to, the kingdom of God, which is. Uh, all of us together seeking how we may love one another. And uh, which is purely a spiritual expression. The kingdom of God it does not rely on, on the politics of the day. Yes, yes. It doesn't, it doesn't rely on, on the elected officials or the government structures. It okay, is. all right. Um, should we live without borders, anything goes mentality? Julio? No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that... it. it it's reasonable, in my opinion, uh, that countries would have borders and, and that they would have protections in place to, to protect citizens from criminals, from terrorists. Uh, but uh, I don't think that uh, that necessarily means that the kind of borders that we have are borders that keep everybody out. Mm. Okay. All right. John? It, I think it's good to read Judges. Um, to answer this question as a, as a, as a Christian. And there's a, the story of Jephthah, the judge who was, he got real worked up about some, some offense from one of the uh, neighboring uh, uh, tribes. And when they were fleeing a war, um, fleeing for their lives, uh, they got to the river and he had his, his strong men waiting there at the river at the crossings. And they had to pronounce the word shibboleth. And if they couldn't pronounce the word, it means they were, they were, they were, they were, they were, yeah, they were, yeah, they were, um, they were of the tribe, they were, is, they were of Israel, um, but they were, they were a separate, um, separate group and they were, and they were killed. And I think that that's, that, that's an important story in Judges. I mean, Judges kind of begins bad and gets worse and worse and worse. And it kind of shows you as a, it's sort of like this wake up call of, um, what are we using? What are we using our power for? Um, what are we using our our borders for? And then, what is it doing to us? 
Uh, because you can then follow that story of what happens to Jephthah and what happens to the people um, after that um, experience. You know, I, th I think that's a good question. We do have borders. And so what are we using the borders for? Uh, I, I think uh, that's, that's where we'll leave that one. Um, and uh, how many of the world's seven billion is it America's responsibility to receive? How many of the world's seven billion is it God's responsibility to receive? Mm. I think that's the question that the mm. Christian asks. Um, because first, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And second, I'm nothing. Mm. I think that that's what Jesus is, is, is asking us to do. You can't have two masters. Um, and so the, the question is, is, is always that. I am so privileged to be an American. Uh, just, I mean, we live in the greatest country in the world. It is, it is the, it is the, we have the best laws, we have the best systems, we have the best education, we have, it, it's just, we are so extremely privileged. Uh, so it's really easy to say, I am an American, this is so great. Uh, and yeah. then there's this good news, somehow, sometimes the good news seems like it's bad news for the privileged, but Jesus is saying, seek first mm. the kingdom of God. Um, seek first the kingdom of God, and we, you, there's, there, you, you can't do the two masters thing. Uh, so we always ask the question, how many of this, of this pop, how much of the, what percentage of this population of the world uh, is, is God receiving? Okay. Um, Julio, you want to weigh in on well, that? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know that, that I would answer that in a mathematical way, but I, I would say that with greater privilege comes greater responsibility. And so I think that, uh, Every time in the scriptures that God um, deals with Israel, he, he blessed Israel to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That the promise, the Abrahamic promise in Genesis 12, is that, that his descendants would become a nation and they would be a blessing uh, to the nations. Mm. And when God blesses a nation, it's so that it would be a blessing. Blessing to the nations. Mm. We... we we would do well to spend some time pondering that and figuring, go and learn what this means, you know, as the Bible says. Uh, how do we prevent, uh, hang on just a second. No, that's not it. Uh, how can you condone illegal students in a higher education institution? They are undocumented. If they are registered, uh, whose social security number are they using for student aid? What about, what about in a higher education setting? Uh, any any thoughts so, on that? So some of these students are got here when they were two or three years old. Their parents mm -hmm. brought them, yeah, uh, and they grew up here. They they really this is their home, um, but their parents didn't have you know uh, documents, and so they they grew up and they go through the system. And there is a provision uh, called the Dream Act that allows them to be able to register in school, and uh, and and so they're. They're able to, to go through that. I don't know the answer to the Social Security question. Sure. I will tell you that, you know, we have some, some of uh, the Dreamer, uh, you know, kids that, uh, that are in college, that, that are active in campus ministry. We had a particular uh, student in our church that was really passionate about missions, and we said, yeah, but, you know, you can't go. You don't have a passport. Oh, I and, remember you telling me and, that. Yeah, and yeah. she... Uh, and she applied, she wanted to lead a group 
a short-term mission group to India from our church, and she applied for a visa to do that, and they gave her a visa, and she was able to go and take our group to India and come back. We were praying that she'd be able to come back. Uh, So, uh, you know, there are some provisions there. Sometimes they're they're not clear. Sometimes they're not implemented uniformly. Uh, But... I, I would think that if, if these kids grow up in this country and they get an education and they're going to contribute to society, I'd rather have that than them be out as gangs in the streets. You bet. Mm-hmm. You bet. A, a lawyer would say you're illegal if you're speeding. Um, you're illegal if you have a parking ticket that you haven't paid. It's a misdemeanor. It's the same thing crossing a border without permission. Uh, so um, we could, a, a, lawyer would, a lawyer would say, well, wh- how, how dare you let kids who've sped or have out, out, outstanding parking tickets, you know, go to school. Um, and, of course, those folks, you can generally pay your ticket, and there's a, there's a mechanism for you to fix that and get you sort of on the up and up. And I yeah. think that that's why people are always saying, let's give these, these precious kiddos, and they are just precious, the hardest working. I taught middle school in the Valley for a long time, and let me tell you which kids worked really, mm. really hard mm. uh, and were an absolute joy to teach. And which kids were not that? Some of these kids who were really privileged were a little bit more challenging. They're, they're hoping but. to earn a path to citizenship. They're, yeah, yeah. You know, they're hoping to, you know, absolutely not misbehave to make good grades and to con- contribute to society and the church. Um, oh, yes. I think there's also an important question. That's what the lawyers would say. I think the Christian then asks the question: Is what do, what do, what does a Christian do with someone who's illegal? Um, and and in the first chapter of Mark. Jesus goes up to a man who is illegal. He's not allowed to be in the town. Because of the law in Leviticus 13, the man had to leave. He had to leave his family. Mm -hmm. He had to leave his job. He had to leave everything that he was because of what the law said about his skin. And Jesus went up to him and touched him. He saw him. He touched him. And he told him, go and be a testimony. Let your healing be a mm-hmm. testimony. So then, of course, the man has to go down and by the law, he's got, to, got his little piece of string and his two birds and a little vessel. And they've got to do that little sacrifice and show the priests who have declared him illegal that he isn't. But, but, but I think that we as a church, uh, not so much following the lawyers, but following Jesus saying, let me, let me bless you identify you as the way God identifies you. Um, and then let this, let this be a testimony. And then that implies work for the church to stay with, uh, provide community and, and, uh, and advocacy if necessary. Um, okay, last question here, and then we'll, we'll wind this up. How do we prevent sex trafficking and illegal drugs without hurting those who are truly seeking a better life and contributing to our country? Well, I mean, there's, there are sophisticated systems that the Border Patrol has to, I mean, we have all, all kinds of technology at the border. I mean, the, the guys at my church tell me what they're able to see uh, with radars and with monitors and cameras. And I think that, you know, those kind of systems need to continue to be invested in to be able to stop the drug trafficking. I mean. We need to stop drug trafficking at the border, and we need to help the people that consume the drugs inside the yeah. border. 
There's a market uh, so for that, the, so the, isn't there? You know, same thing yeah. for sex trafficking. That's right. If we if we have sex trafficking, that means there's a market for that. That's here. right. And somehow we need to address that. Uh, but but it does need to be addressed. Our our church in particular, uh, we we have a ministry uh, to rescue uh, sex trafficking mm. victims. Mm. It's a difficult thing to do because law enforcement agencies are not always willing to work with a nonprofit or a church and. And so, uh, but we have a lady that's really passionate about that, and, and, uh, and she's out there. Valentine's Day, my wife and I said, you know, we're not going to go out to, uh, to a restaurant and, and wait in line and pay a ridiculous amount of, of money for, for dinner. So what we're going to do is we're going to make some carne guisada, and we're going to invite uh, some friends. And so we had a Valentine's dinner at our home, and, and that, that couple said, well, I have... Uh, a Chinese girl who has been rescued from sex trafficking. Mm. Is it okay if I bring her? And we said, perfect, please do. Uh, and so she sat at our table. That's and I don't know if beautiful. that was, I don't know if that was the first time she ate tortillas, but she, <laughs> she sure did enjoy that. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> so there are things that both law enforcement and nonprofit in the church can do. For that one person, it made a difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are victims of sex trafficking three blocks from here right now. Um, if this is a serious question, um, we could, you can go and at, most of the people who stay with us who are stranded overnight or are moving through have been victims of, of, of sex trafficking um, just because of their, their vulnerability. Um, and we are, a, we are a hub for it in San Antonio because of I-10 and yeah. because of I-35. This is, this is, a, this is an epicenter of the of the human trafficking um and the church is uniquely positioned and some there are some exciting things that are happening in san antonio but much more that needs to happen um in terms of our uh in terms of our response our little church got us we're, we're working on a little um a hot um a kiosk hotline in the bus station we've got some more uh we that would this. be awesome yeah, yeah that's the, the city's installed them now with all the tourist kiosks um we're, but but we're trying to get one in in the bus station yeah. as well. The Mennonite kiosk is over there. Yeah. <laughs> Tourists, yeah. Mennonites. Uh, okay, would y'all help me thank these folks here, Julio and John? Um, can can y'all? They'll be around just for a little bit uh, afterwards tonight. For those of you who want to uh, talk further, and thank you for thinking, uh, for asking questions. Uh, let's keep this conversation going. Nothing is more important than learning how to be uh, Christ to this city and beyond. Okay, thanks everybody. Good night.